Okay, so this is to start the video. I'm gonna go ahead. Obviously, this is gonna be something that later is gonna be edited out. Um, I've still got to send this link to Facebook and Twitter to those of you who are gonna want to join in. So, if you will, bear with me for just a minute, and it'll give me the chance to log in here. Put those links on there for those who would like to join. Obviously, we don't have any joining right now, but this will be edited out um, if anybody comes in from here to then. So, all right, let's see here. Hey Josh. Jeff, how's it going, man? Good, how are you? Not too Look, bad. Turn on my camera here. Yeah, let me see if I can't see it yet. Getting that camera on? What's that? Are you are you can turn your camera on? I thought I did. Oh well, I can't see it. It was X'd off, and then I clicked it on. I thought. Let me try. Let me. Okay. Turn video. Okay.
<laughs> yeah, you should. If you go down to the bottom of the screen, um, yeah, it'll show you the video. Do you have me yet? Uh, not yet. Huh. I keep clicking it. wonder what else I need. Hold it here. Now do you see me? Not yet? Uh, see, okay, let me see. It says, we could not connect to your selected camera. Please select a different camera. I didn't know I had a different camera. Oh. Uh. <laughs> uh, gosh. Not seeing your webcam more and more. It worked fine the other time. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. We'll get it figured out. Yeah. And I'll edit this portion out after the video is uh, up on YouTube. I'll go back and change it around. All right. You want to call me back, see if that works? Yeah, let's try that. Okay. Okay, do you have me yet? Uh, not yet. Let me click. Okay, now that says turn video on. Hey, we got gotcha. you. Right there now? Okay, good. Wait. Good, 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 good. Let me pull that down a little bit. I'm in my jacket because I'm in the family room, and this is the coldest room of the house. So. Oh, man. Well, you know what? I don't. I'm actually in the basement, so the kids are upstairs. The wife is in the living room upstairs, so. I'm I got I'm down in the basement. I got a little space heater down here though. So Okay. Yeah. Well but. we've got a lot of Calvinists have been on our tail the last few days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yep, that's normal. That's good though, man. That means they uh they may have watched the video. I think I think that was pretty profitable if you ask me. Um whether or not it was something good that we should have done or something let me see if I can add I'm gonna add you on the screen so that way it's not just me okay. on the actual live live feed there we go so all right okay. so good let's go ahead i'm gonna do the intro video sure and uh and then we can jump into it and go from there good sounds good make sure today that you leave this place knowing that you are saved to the glory of God. Thinks that one I'm going to choose. If you believe that, friends, you don't know the gospel. Is that the wonder of the cross is that no one gets injustice. If you if you end up under the wrath of God, it is because you've rejected his provision for you and your justice is punished for your sin. I think to what the scriptures teach. I think the Bible does teach that God desires the salvation of all men. He has provided uh, for uh, the, the salvation of all men. And therefore, anyone who, who ends up under the wrath of God, it is because they have rejected his provision for them, and they are justly punished for their sins.
question that seeks to provide an answer to this question, for whose sins did Jesus die? The extent of the atonement asks the question, for whose sins did Jesus die? There are only two answers, two possible answers to that question. Either Jesus died for the sins of some people, or Jesus died for the sins of all people. that Ricky that was uh no that was actually uh Dave uh David Allen oh so. oh okay yeah yeah let me see here I don't know why that is oh there we go that looks a lot better let me pull that off okay sweet man so um yeah David Allen I was uh he, he was on Soteriology 101 not too long ago with, uh, well, I guess it's been a while now, um, but I, I had done a search for him to see if there was any, any audio or video of him speaking, because obviously I've got his book, The Extent of the Atonement, sure. and um, I think that he's going to write another book here pretty soon on the application of the atonement, because he, yeah. you know, that he draws um, a pretty clear distinction between uh the three main aspects of soteriology being the intent, the extent, and then the application. And uh, and, and the extent of the atonement, he addresses both, well, he addresses all three, really, but the book is obviously centered around the extent, which would be, for whom did Christ die? And I think that that, that, um, that topic is obviously related in so many ways to free will itself, don't you think? Sure, but um, yeah, I I I I don't know. I so we went over um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, well, I guess it's maybe been a week, week and a half. We did that debate with Chris Williams, and you moderated that. So yep. once again, yep. Jeff, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. So and by the way, we had Thanksgiving. We both survived that. Oh yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, man. <laughs> you too. You guys got anything special? Now I just went to the in-laws. Yeah. Uh, small gathering. Our our families are dwindling down. All the uh, old people are passing away, and yeah. just not too many of us left. And yeah. Well, we did we did the same thing. We went over to uh, to my in-laws, so my wife's parents um, had a nice nice meal over there. Hang out with family a little bit, but good deal. So, um, okay, so I wanted to. Oh, you were so you mentioned earlier. That we've got a lot of Calvinists following us around on Twitter, right? Well, I wanted to ask you this, Jeff. You obviously have had high blood pressure in the last week or so, right? I did. Do you think that that is related in any way? No. Uh, I, I had been rather neglectful about taking meds for blood pressure, and I checked myself into the ER on Sunday night, and I was 230 over 130. Holy cow, that, that's... Yeah. That's not good. No, it's one. So they they got it down to about 180 over 100 when they dismissed me from the hospital, and uh, so I'm back on blood pressure medicine, and looks like I'll have to stay that way the rest of my life. So. Oh wow! 
man, uh, hard you know. that, yeah, well, it's, it's a, so does that mean you're gonna have to stay out of the chat rooms? No, 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 no. I just can't get upset or anything. You know? <laughs> well, no, I, yeah. You know, I, 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 you know what? What I see. I mean, all the chat rooms, the discussions we have. There's no, no. Um, how should I say? Everybody loves the Lord. I mean, that's the thing. Everybody has a deep abiding love for for God and Jesus Christ, uh, His Son. Uh, we all strive to live lives that uh, are pleasing to the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We just have some differences, and I, and they're kind of major differences, but we do have differences about um, salvation, soteriology in particular, and I'm going to say the semantics around that operation yeah. of, of salvation. And, uh, you know, Calvinists, uh, seem to be on the side that salvation and, and heaven is by invita invitation only. Mm -hmm. The rest of us feel like it's open enrollment. Yeah. And and uh, and so that that uh, difference alone causes us to go through the scriptures and say, is it really only by invitation? Yeah. If that were so, then only Jews would have been saved, and that would have been it. Yeah. Uh, and even even we know that not all Jews believe the scriptures, so uh, you know, so they've got that going for us. Uh, so, as we talked about, we wanted to kind of talk about Romans one through three for a while. We won't, we won't read all of it, but one of the things Chris got us got on us for was we weren't exegeting the the scriptures, and so I, I wanted to pick a few things out as we get started, so that. Um, so that we can get a, get a good firm firm grasp, so that where are you going in Romans to start? I'll pull it up on the screen. Here. Uh, Romans one sixteen. Okay. To uh, for the and then the next few uh, next few verses here. Yeah, go ahead. Whenever so, you man. So Paul writes here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And I take that to mean that if somebody shares the gospel with me, there's enough power in that message that I can either believe it or reject it. And we go, in, go on to verse 17 where it says, um, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And then in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all and unrighteousness. And then we go, let um, me read a little bit further in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. And they're talking about, For the invisible things of him, meaning God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. And then we look at verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So this part of Romans, 
Paul is laying out the fact that God has revealed himself to every man, mm-hmm. righteous or unrighteous. He has revealed them in very many ways, and that even, even an unrighteous person, even though they knew God, everything was clearly seen, they still reject God. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and we'll, we'll talk some more about some of this stuff, um, but like in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So it was a choice of the unrighteous person to not retain God in their, in their knowledge. Okay, it was a volitional act. Um, and one of the things Chris hammered us on was about that we only do things according to our nature. And, you know, so we only believe because God has changed our nature. That's how Calvinists think that. Instead of we have we have the choice to make a free will choice, and we've been going through that this week. Um, so uh, where, where do I want to go with this? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so so we're, we're presented with this dilemma in chapter one, where Paul is laying it out that when a saved person accepted God by the, the revelation that God has provided. The unrighteous person has rejected that revolution, revelation and therefore is going to be deemed a, a reprobate. It's not until then, as you see here, they're not reprobated until they have rejected God. It's not a matter that God reprobated them from the womb and some of that. So those are the things I just kind of want to lay out at this point in time. Then we'll, we'll banter about this a little bit and uh, maybe we'll see some some uh, messages come through or whatever, but uh, I think that, but I think that's a clear thing there that God has revealed Himself to every man. The evidence is clearly seen, and that man then, as a result of that, um, is responsible to choose right from wrong, God, no God, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I th- I think that this is one of the, one of the best places that you can go for a number of a number of reasons. One I would use this. Um, this is something that you can use if you're if you're witnessing to an atheist to to show someone that that the revelation of God is clearly seen um, through what we would call it, in classified general revelation. This would be through nature. It would be through uh, it would be through the stars. It would be through the things that God has created. So. You can look at you can look at God's creation and see and see the Godhead, um, as chapter verse twenty says. Um, but one thing I want to point out in in regard to our conversation uh, regarding free will, I think it's so interesting just to um, to consider that Martin Luther was actually saved off of verse seventeen when he read that. Uh, verse seventeen it says, "For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith." to faith okay and and then it goes on to say as it was written as it is written the just shall live by faith now obviously this is a reference back to Habakkuk chapter 2 uh, verse 4 where it says the just shall live by his faith so you've got a clear distinction here and we'll get into this next week as as we discuss it as well um, next week we're going to be talking with Robert Furland um, mm-hmm. who is another Twitter friend of ours that um, we've had some 
some dialogue with, and I think it'll be it'll be um, a really good thing for us to get into the conversation of what we would commonly call um, dispensationalism. Mm-hmm. So dispensationalism yeah. is is obviously going to be what what we would what we would say is um, just as simply as I can put it. It's God. How is God dispensing out salvation throughout time? And if we want to, and, and I'll give a complicated definition, and I'll give us a, a simplified definition of it. But really, what it comes down to is, what are God's expectations for man to meet, to have right standing with God? As uh, our friend uh, Randy White puts it, he calls it a right standing with God. And a lot of people would like to label it, um, how are people saved in the Old Testament compared to how are people saved in the New Testament? Well, I think this is one of the clearest definitive verses in all of the Bible that shows you a clear difference between Old Testament and New Testament salvation. It's what are they putting their faith in versus what are we putting our faith in. In verse 17, it says, from faith to faith. And there's so much entailed in that verse. From faith would be, obviously, Old Testament to New Testament to faith. And and then it gives a, um, a, a declarative difference in what he just said right after he says that. And that he corrects Habakkuk 2 verse 4 and says the just shall live by faith. And if you consider the differences between those two, his faith versus faith alone is the difference between putting your faith in in what you are doing. It's your faith versus us putting our faith in what Christ has already done. So that would be the difference of one of the main differences of Old Testament faith plus works salvation. Um, compared to the New Testament faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's that simple. But um, Martin Luther saw that verse, and he got saved off of it. And that began um, what what began to break the backbone of Roman Catholicism in the Dark Ages and to allow a little bit of light in. And people were seeing that. God was using it in Romans chapter 1 to take people where they're at, general revelation, you've got the witness of the stars, you've got the witness of nature, you've got the witness of your conscience, to take that light and to give you a little bit more with it and to give you a little bit more with it. And now you've got the gospel that shows you that the gospel is being printed in all of these new uh, translations. It went into German, it went into uh, the Latin, it went into all of these different versions that people were able to have in their own tongue that they could understand it and read it themselves. And, And that's what God used um, during the Reformation time period um, to bring in what people were recognizing as free will to choose Christ. You have the ability to do it. It's not a church-state setup anymore where you have to join the church if you want to come. You can just simply come straight to Christ. And there's a lot more into that. But um, yeah. So that there's Romans 1 there. I mean, it's it, there's so there is so much in that verse, but when you're in that chapter, but when you're talking about the reprobate. One thing that I'll I want to point out, and then I'll turn it back over to you, is when when it when it leads up to the 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 time that um, in verse twenty eight it says God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. Um, it it says two times before that he gave them up, he gave them up, and then he gave them over. So he gave them up. Uh, he. Where did he give them up? I think the first time it says that he gave them up is uh, verse 26. It says he gave them unto... Go to verse 24. 24. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, dishonor their own bodies between themselves. 
who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then the second time it says, For this cause uh, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. So they give them up, he gave them up, and then he gives them over in verse 28 to the reprobate yep. mind. That's Almost the, like three strikes and you're out. That's right. So. <laughs> But, but that's it, man. I mean, they, you can see that God starts with man off a general revelation through his, con his conscience, nature, and the stars. And uh, I heard a guy do a, a, a sermon one time uh, with a telescope out in a field, and he called it Gospel in the Stars. And I thought that that was a pretty cool thing, that you can actually get the gospel out of the stars if that's all you had. And uh, there's no excuses if you don't. But I think that's where God starts. So, yeah. where do you want to go from there, Jeff? Then when we go into chapter 2, then Paul starts talking about the Jews, and they had the oracles of God, they had the law, and so, and, and so you're kind of basically saying, you Jews, you couldn't even obey the law, you know, so that, but, the other, but the, Paul is also writing that the Gentile, the unsaved man, the one that's not part of, the, part of Israel, because the law is written on his heart, again, God's revelation, they, they, in a sense, have or did obey the law even without noticing it. So some of the cases that I'm sure that in a, in a, um, in a Gentile society, adultery was probably wrong. You know, yeah. stealing was probably wrong. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to throw the thing as if I were to go to a Calvinist and kick him in the knee, how could he complain? Because he would consider that to be a, a determined act by me. Yeah. <laughs> but we see that, that God's law is so universally true that even a, a Gentile nation could, would still uh, be able to use those parts of the law to to have a civil society. I mean, look at look at Rome in its time. Rome didn't really, they weren't part of Israel. They had no use of Israel. But look at the civilized society that Rome had in the sense, and they, they created a legal system that we still use today. Yeah. And that Paul even used as a way to go from Jerusalem to Rome by appealing to the various levels of the judiciary. So there are... There are universal truths that Scripture provides to us. It says societies live a lot by the by the, the law itself. They just didn't know that they were living by the law. Yeah. Um, so I've got uh, chapter two is is uh, let me see where's my notes on that. I in um. Let me see. I'm sorry. I'm trying to... That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I've got in my Bible... here. So I broke down all the chapters. And I know that everybody does this differently. Yeah, you'll get different headings for it. But um, I've got chapter one. Here's how I labeled it. I've got how Gentiles think. And um, it, it gives you the mindset of how a Gentile, how a Gentile would think. Um, be... It, it, because I think I think Paul, when he was writing Romans, he wanted to show you how a Gentile thinks. Because obviously, 
Romans is commonly called the Constitution for the Christian. It gives you your bylaws. It's a very legal book showing you what um, what Christianity is. It, you've got all the doctrines of Christianity laid out in this one book. So he starts out with showing you how a Gentile thinks, showing you that Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, is going to lay out the, the new constitution for Christianity and how you're supposed to live your life. But it starts out there going, Gentiles first, because the church starts going to the Gentiles, and then you deal uh, primarily with those Gentiles, where chapter 2 would give you the mindset of the Jew. So you've got how a, how a Gentile thinks in chapter 1 versus how a Jew thinks in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 would show you how Gentiles who followed their conscience after God and Jews who sacrificed to God up to this point are not to use their conscience or to use the law anymore uh, to solve their sin problem. So they've got a new solution to it. You've got here's how the Gentile thinks, here's how the Jew thinks, and here's your solution in chapter 3 for both the Jew and the Gentile. Um, and I don't know, there's just, you can do so many different breakdowns and, and uh, get into the depth of the book of Romans, but chapter 2 is just, it's just an amazing book. I think primarily is he's, he's giving you a, a description of, one, yeah, you're a Jew, but you're not saved if you're, if you're following the Jewish law anymore. So he's addressing this as if he's addressing an unsaved man uh, mm -hmm. in verse 1 where he says, Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For uh, thou that judgest doeth the same things. We're sure the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And then he goes into this and goes through it. And, and then he gets to verse 16 and says that in the day that God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now when we talk about the free will of men, Jeff, um, I think it's so interesting to see um, terms like, like this. Paul calls it my gospel. You know, and, and you, you think of the personalization of that gospel, and we, we're looking at the extent of the atonement. Who did Christ actually die for? Well, in Romans, you've got first he's addressing the Gentiles, then he's addressing the Jews. But you read it earlier in chapter 1, verse, uh, verse where is it, 16. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't say that the regeneration of the Holy Spirit prior to the gospel gives you the power of God unto salvation. Yeah. It says the gospel is that power of God unto salvation. So you're not saved before you hear the gospel. And then he goes on to say, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So you don't believe before you hear the gospel, and you can't hear the gospel until after you, and, and before you believe. But he says, if I might have got that backwards, but he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, so Romans ten fourteen is the one where you, how 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 can you call on the name of the Lord unless you've unless unless you believe, and then how can you believe unless you've heard the word of God? So, um, so it's kind of that that order there, there that uh, that set, sets the pace. And you know, and the, the nice thing is, uh, in a natural sense, that it's good that Paul wrote Romans because he was an attorney, he was a lawyer, he yeah. he knew. He knew the workings of the law. He works it in very, very well, um, which is why you can't just you can't just pick one verse out of Romans. You have to really follow the the whole pa logical path of what he's writing. Yeah, yeah, and you, that's what we would call proof texting, right? I mean, you, it, anybody can do it, and uh, so many people do it. 
um, obviously in regard to free will. Right? When, when we get through this a little bit, I want to look at some of the proof texts that people will pull out, mm -hmm. um, especially regarding the conversations that we've had online. Yeah. But um, before I do that, um, do you want to do you want to get into chapter three, or do you want to hit any more on chapter two? Well, chapter three is good uh, because now that basically now we're we're just saying, you know, with or without the law, um, actually actually in comparison to the law, there's nobody that's going to be saved by way of the law anymore. It's 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 a schoolmaster, but it's not the way of salvation, and so. You know, we get into verse uh, verse ten of chapter three. There's no, none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They've all gone out of their own way, out of the way. They all they are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And it goes on and on. I mean, it really paints this bleak, bleak picture that that we are just you know lower than than snails' bellies or whatever and stuff like that. And Spiritually, this is true. We know that it's true. We we are we are definitely depraved people. Uh, however, we um, we get down to verse three to, uh, to verse twenty eight. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of law. And it says, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. So again, Paul makes it clear that salvation is not just of the Jews now. It is of the Gentiles also. God is the God of the Jews. God is the God of the Gentiles also. And so, uh, and justification now is by faith, not by chosenness. Not by predetermined lottery draw and that kind of stuff. It's by faith, and uh, and so that sets the table for the whole rest of Romans. That um, it says, you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, uh, and 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 you know, there's no for therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we live by faith. We don't have to follow the law. We're not we're not working to maintain our salvation. We are merely acting out in our faith of doing good works because we do love Jesus. Yeah. So I would uh, to contribute a little bit to that. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple of things that I'd I'd like to see, and this will carry us over into next week when we when we talk to Robert um, about the the real difference between Old Testament and New Testament salvation. Now, you probably. You're probably aware that there, there's a, there's a movement of people out there, a very minor, uh, a very small uh, group, very small number of people out there that, that are like, absolutely 100% against dispensationalists, mm -hmm. which means if you're a dispensationalist, they don't believe you're saved. Like you might right. as well. You, you're just you are that reprobate in Romans chapter one. You don't know anything about the gospel. You don't you don't know Jesus. You don't know anything about Christianity. Period. If you think there's a difference between Old and New Testament salvation, but but here's the thing: like you obviously recognize there's a division. You know that they'll they'll tell you, you dispensationalists, you think that you can just cut the Bible up into a million different little pieces and pick and choose what applies to you. And say, well, the Old Testament doesn't apply to me, and that's not what we do. 
It, right. It's it just like it's so similar to what a Calvinist will say a uh, non-Calvinist believes when it comes to free will. It's so it's so slanted towards um, a misrepresentation of what we actually believe. If I were to define what we what we believe by free will, it's not something that would say, you know what, our will is going to lead us to go to heaven. It's something that gives us the power to make the gospel ourselves. It, it, that's not what it is. It's the power to believe the gospel once you hear it. It's free will to choose to hear it and believe it. It's free will to actually say, you know what, I have a conscience to discern between right and wrong, good and bad. And now I've heard that there's a consequence for it, the law, there's sin, there's there's death, there's hell, there's all these things, but the solution is Christ, and I can choose to accept that or not. Now, when I'm making that comparison to dispensationalism, they'll tell you they'll tell you that you're making a division that's not there, which means they're still saved by faith alone in the Old Testament. And I agree with them up to the point that they are saved by faith in the Old Testament. There is grace in the Old Testament. When Paul talks about the dispensation of the grace of God, that's from the moment that he decided to create anything. That's grace. I mean, grace was introduced when, when God set foot on the nothingness of nothing and decided to make it something. That was grace. And and it's been grace has been ever since then, throughout the beginning of time itself, to matter itself, to humans, to to the end of the book of Revelation. It's going to be there forever. But when it comes to the works side of it, I think that it's so easy to see the transition of how man has messed up and God had to fix it. And it's been that way ever since time began. It started in the garden. Man chose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what did God do? He decided to clothe them and kick them out of the garden. Well, once man got out of the garden, then... then uh, they decided to um, they decided to do everything that they did up up until Genesis chapter six with their conscience, and they messed up, and God decided to fix it. But every time He fixes it, He gives them a choice to join in what He's doing corporately to provide the solution to the problem, and then He changes it after that. And, and we know that there was no, there wasn't a, a written law like what Moses had, a Mosaic law. There wasn't even the Jewish Israeli nation up to that point. Abraham was a Gentile when he got called out of the Ur Chaldees, and Abraham called out to God to save him twice and believed twice before God saved him. The third time he called out to save him, we see it in Genesis 12:8, we see it in 13:4, and then we see him saved in Genesis 15. But and and he's. He's the father of our faith, right? I mean, that's where it, where the seed of Abraham spiritually, and and I see that in Romans two where it says, "But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God." Um, but when it comes to free will, I think that this is this is something that we really need to address. It, it started in the garden. It's God giving man a choice throughout time to choo choose the solution or to reject it. And and we've got the choice to do it. It's up to us what, what we will do with it. Do you have anything right. you wanted to add to that? No, that's, that's really good. I think, you know, when they talk about that we're not saved as dispensationalists, you know, Paul, Paul tells us, or told Timothy, 
in Second Timothy two fifteen is to study, to show yourself approved unto God, workman that needeth not not to be under uh, not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and it's not a matter of we're chopping it up. The idea is though that we are presenting a coherent. Um, summary of the things that God has shown us through it. I mean, if anything, there's there are two dispensations, period. There's there's the era of, the, of Israel, and there's the era of the church. Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel. Well, you'll it's, have a hard time. So here's what I've decided on that, Jeff. I was listening to this guy. Um, I can't remember his first name. Um, I came, so his wife is on Twitter, and she she's pregnant, she's getting ready to have a kid and and just loves to troll anything dispensational. Yeah. And, you know, his name is McMurtry. I, I can't think of her first name. I can't think of his his first name, but but he's a pastor and he's part of um the new uh independent fundamental Baptist movement. Uh, okay. And he, he he's put out a series of videos that he calls debunking uh dispensationalism. And um, one thing that I've that I've noticed when it comes to that, um, you had said you had said that there's a difference between Israel and the church. Well, here's what here's what I I think is the motive behind their movement. Um, they are a mid-trib um, teaching, so they believe that the the church goes through the first three and a half years of the tribulation, uh, but the tribulation is actually only three and a half years. So. Um, before the the great tribulation happens, we're raptured out. Which, that's not that uncommon, of a uh, a teaching. It, it's relatively new. It started with Rasmussen, and 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 who was funded by a, a anyway. So without getting into the history of all of that, um, <clears throat> I think that in order to have any uh, any traction with Baptists on a mid-trib rapture, you've got to get rid of the difference between Israel and the Church. Because they are replacement theology as well, to my knowledge. They believe that there is no difference between the church and the videos that I watched uh, on him debunking uh, dispensationalism. It, he talks about how we are Israel. Israel is not a. It's not a racial. It's not a. Uh, it's not a, a genetic thing. It's a spiritual thing only. Okay, and 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 would say. I, what I would have to say to that is just simply ask the question, okay, so if you are Israel and you want to claim all the blessings of Israel, what do you do with all the curses that Israel got as well? You're not going to claim those? I okay. mean, come on, you know? It, anyway, so what do you have to say about that to those who would disagree with you and say, we are Israel? Well, I, I see that a lot where people are trying to attribute blessings that God promised Israel for the church and it's like oh yeah okay what about the land promise you know what about you know what about the seed promise you know how you know just the, and the blessing and everything and and it's just like what what we really have in scripture is there is a unilateral executory contract between god and israel it's not it has not been fulfilled yet and it, but it will be the church is not part of that contract. And I don't know why people think the church is part of the contract. And um, so that's what I have to say about that. Just, um, because that's, that, 
that's the part. I th- and then I think what leads into that, Josh, is then people think, okay, we're saved, but now we've got to maintain the law. We've got to keep working in order to uh, maintain our salvation or to prove our salvation um, or, to, or to fulfill some, some promise that God has, has prom- promised Israel, but now it's us. And um, it's, just, it's just nuts because when you get into the works, you never know how much is enough. And I've asked people, and you've probably seen this, I said, what are the qualitative and quantitative standards of works post-salvation? Nobody can answer that question. What do you mean by that, qualitative and quantitative? Well, what what kind of works are they talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the qualitative is what types of works? You know, is it service? Is it giving? Is it whatever? And then, if you if you look at the qual- those qualitative aspects, then the quantitative is, well, how do you know you've done enough? How much each day? How much each month? You know, are you, you know? So are you racking up enough good works to make sure you're saved, or to assure you're saved? And I think it just leads to a lot of doubt, and a lot of misgivings. And I think at some point in time, people give up because it's it's too much of a yoke upon their necks to maintain all these works when Jesus says, rest in me. Yeah. So um, Cliff says, is, is this not a form of supersessionism from Augustine, which I would say supersession, to be a cessationist, you believe something has to cease. So I would be a cessationist in regard to tongues or divine uh, miraculous healing as far as man doing that. Um, and, and those kinds of things. I believe that those were gifts to the apostles. The supersessionists, I would say, from Augustine. Augustine, obviously, um, was was directly relevant to perseverance of the saints. And I think that when you take that stance, a lot of people would try to define perseverance of the saints as something that is not works-based, but would use that old acronym, once saved, always saved, and if you're once saved, always saved, you're a Calvinist. If you're not, then you're an Arminian. And, and I think that that's such... I I mean, seriously, man, it's like, oh, do you believe that you can lose your salvation? Oh, no, I can't lose my salvation. Well, you're a Calvinist. You know? Well, what else is there? I don't... There's nothing else. Uh-uh. You're, you're one Cal- or the other. As long as you persevere to the end, right? But that's it, man. I, You know, and I... It, we were having an online di- uh, dialogue back and forth with this this guy, I can't, I can't remember his name now, um, but we were talking about that perseverance of the saints, and I did not tell him, "Hey, man, you're you're putting your faith in your works. If you're doing that, you're going to hell." I said, "You're getting dangerously close to putting your faith in works for your salvation, because they believe that if you do not have good works, you're not saved, and if you do get to the point in your life that you either walk away from the faith." Or you, you know, you become a, an alcoholic or a fornicator or all of those things listed in the book of Galatians and 1 Corinthians that, that list the deeds of things that people do. They'll say, well, if you do those things, you're, you were never saved. And, and I just say to that, gosh, man, you know, that is very dangerously close to putting works into your salvation because what are you counting on right. at the end of the day? Is it the finished work of Christ or are you counting on your works, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it just gets pretty tough for me to look at that and go, you know, what are you doing there? 
Right. Just just so I I, I remember, just so I can be uh, sure of what Cliff meant. What is a super secessionist? A great point to get clarification on that, Cliff. By the way, um, I don't know. I, I saw your um, I saw your comments on with Randy White. That was the first time that I had actually um, seen it. Uh, one of his Ask the Theologian um, videos, which, by the way, if anybody's listening or you're going to listen and view this later. I would recommend that. Look up Randy White, Ask the Theologian. He is a dispensationalist. I, I don't know if he's written a book on it or not, but um, he's... Oh, look at that. Hey, there's a cup right there. Um, that book comes from his website, and uh, um, he, he's got a lot of books on there uh, that yeah. you would recommend. But what is his website? Do you know? It's randywhiteministries.com or .org, and the publishing house is Dispensational Publishing House. Okay. So Cliff was on there. Cliff, good to see you again. It's, he says that um, supersessionism means to supersede Israel, which would simply mean, if I'm going to take that and interpret it myself, it just means that the church supersedes Israel. You're greater than Israel. What do you think? I don't. I don't believe that at all. Yeah. Uh, I. I think most of us, at least dispensationalists, would pretty much agree that the church is a parenthetic time period yeah. between the time that God kind of put Israel on the shelf to the time that He's going to bring Israel back together again, and they will finally accept Jesus as their Messiah. And we we just are we're very blessed that at least 2,000 years ago, Israel sought to deny the Messiah and not recognize him on earth. And we're, part, we're now part of the, the end time plan here, but we're still not Israel. We, we, and uh, again, as Paul, Paul specifies here, we've got a different gospel. The, the gospel that Paul presents is different than what Jesus presented in the Synoptic Gospels. Yeah, and and that's and that's what and people are going to wig out right there. Oh man, <laughs> Jeff, I don't know how you can say something like that. We've got a different gospel. I mean, seriously, there's only one gospel in all of the Bible, and it's been Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection throughout history. And I don't know how you can look at Adam and Eve and say they didn't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that's how they got to heaven. Well, we don't know how, because of their perfect nature, they could have ever sinned either. Which Calvinists always talk about. We always do what's according to our nature. But Adam and Eve were perfect. Yeah. Perfect in every way, yet they sinned. Lucifer, perfect angel, the greatest angel that, was, that God ever created. There was pride found in him. Where did that come from? We don't know. Although the Calvinists probably said, well, God determined it to be that way. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, so there's things we don't necessarily understand, but we do understand, according to Paul, he has the gospel for the church age. And so that, we can only go by scripture on that. Yeah. But so many people dismiss Paul. They say, no, we're going to follow Jesus. And Paul says, follow me because I follow Jesus. Jesus revealed to me the mystery of this age. It's different. It's different than what was in the past, and uh, so and that and exactly what Paul wrote there in, in 
chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. Not by works, not by anything else, but by faith. So I put up here, um, this is something that I was, uh, that I had actually sent to um, somebody that was part of the IFB that, that said, you know, the church is Israel. Uh, essentially, they believe that um, God is done with Israel, that the church is Israel, that we are the fellow heirs with Israel in the sense that we get the same blessings and inheritance and inheritance as Israel. And uh, um, to that, I just say, man, you've never read John, uh, I think it's chapter 2, that talks about the marriage at Cana. If, if you really break that marriage down, you have got dispensationally, every dispensation throughout the Bible, and it shows you through the household of God that the church is not Israel. But um, maybe sometime we could go through that and look at it. But here's just sure. a few differences of Israel and the church. Israel was a nation chosen by God, sustained by the covenant promises. And I've got to point this out, guys. I don't know what you would say about this, Jeff, but I believe that the covenants were to Israel. They weren't to the church. There's not a single covenant to the church, including the new covenant. The new covenant is, is one that ha is, has yet to come. It's one that's promised to Israel in the millennium, and uh, we're not in the millennium yet. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think we've, we've seen some uh, discussions the last week or so about um, baptism, you know, and yeah. if we refuse to get baptized as a believer, are we in disobedience, or could it be an indication we're not saved, um, you know, and you look at you look at gospels that Jesus was baptized. Well, he didn't need to be baptized, but the idea here in, in the gospels was people got baptized when they brought fruit, brought forth fruit, meat for repentance, and uh, so so it was it was it was an indication that yeah I've I've repented of my sins. I want to be washed. Baptize me in water. Uh, same with the Lord's Supper. It, when he's and when he when he's talking to the twelve, you know, this is my blood, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me, uh, something that. You know, he said, and, and he says, "You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes." Comes when, second coming, uh, which is probably where some of these new IFB guys talk about. Well, we got to observe the Lord's Supper because we got to be prepared for his coming back. Well. For those of us who believe in the rapture, we're going to be out of here before God deals with Israel. So if we are Israel and we're raptured out, then what happens to Israel? I think that's a good point, man. I mean, what what would a um, mid-trib or they call it? They're still they call them they would call themselves a pre-trib because they don't see the tribulation as a full seven years. Um, so they would say, yeah, we're pre-trib. Um, we're just pre-wrath, you know. But anyway, so what I would what I would say to that is, if you are Israel, why are you not going through the tribulation? Why do you think that you're going out before the tribulation? I mean, honestly, if you are Israel, it is called the time of Jacob's trouble. What is God doing with you if you are Israel and you're not going through the tribulation? Who's going through that? Oh, right. well, I, I don't know. I just, I honestly don't know what they would do with that, but... Anyways, because they talk because they talk about all the, all the, the nations of the world descending upon Israel. Yeah, and so so if if the if the nation of Israel isn't in Israel, 
then we're, what's the battle for? Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, so, yeah, the illogic of all, all of this, I, and I suppose it's just a power grab by somebody that, you know, and we, you know, we've seen that with cults, you know, here in Indianapolis, one of the, one of the famous cultists of ever, of ever, Jim Jones, he pastored here in Indianapolis years ago before he uh, formed the People's Church and went down to Guyana and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a whack dude. I mean, but people followed him. Yeah. And and you see this in you know, the David Koresh and some of the others. People follow these people, um, and it's like, how? How do they get? How do they get hooked into this? And I, you know, I've seen uh, enough of. Um, Who's the guy? I won't mention his name. The guy in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah don't don't mention his name. No, no, I, I've seen enough of those. <laughs> it's like, who are these people in the audience? Yeah. You know, and and they just get get yelled at and yelled at. It's like, man, take a uh, breath, take a pill, or something. Uh, but um, but you know, that's, that was even even when I was in the IFB, that the other the old IFB. That was just kind of one of the one of the complaints I had was that what's the point of all the yeah. yelling? You know, can't can't just the scripture itself be understood without all the 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 uh, uh, yelling and screaming and pounding the pulpit and something like that? But I guess that's their style. I get it, man. Yeah, that's I. The, people can get caught up in a personality, you know, I, and I think that's what a lot of it has to do with is is their love for the the preacher. You know, they probably helped them start the church. They, you know, whatever it is, you know, and it's just that's why it's so hard for some people to leave leave a church. In a lot of cases, you know, it's like, well, we're invested in it. What would they think if we left? Are they going to excommunicate us? Those kinds of things. There's, it's just such a fear based, a fear based, um, Lord over your people kind of mentality. And yeah, I just I, I see that myself. I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. I think that if anybody's in that kind of a system, you need to get out. Go to a, a system that's 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 free. It's liberal within the gospel. I mean, not liberal in the sense of, you know, you can live however you want and do whatever you want. Uh, in that sense, not to put you back under the law or anything. I'm just saying, you know, find some place that's not oppressive in the, in the word that's preaching to you. So, okay, here's what I would like to do. I'd, I'd like to um, address a couple of things regarding free will that we had talked about. Uh, in the okay. debate. Is that something that you have time to do? Yeah, so let's do it. All right, we'll do it real quick here. So no, no when, we, when we talk about free will, we'll mm-hmm. break it down this way. A Calvinist would say that um, you you have, you have do have free will. I believe you have free will. Um, you have free will to choose anything within the nature that God has given you that God chooses to bring pleasure to himself, which means, yeah, you are free to choose whatever God has chosen for you to choose. And what I would say is that the tough things that they really wouldn't explain to you when they say that, you've got free will, you can do anything within the nature that you've got. What they don't say when they say they believe you have free will is you have to be born again before you can believe the gospel or hear the gospel in order to believe the gospel. They would also tell you that God created your wanter to want the way that it wants, which means... God made you the way you are, so if you want to kill someone, God made you want to kill someone. He gave you that desire. If you want to rape, 
if you want to have an abortion, if you want to do all these terrible things, all the way up to the Holocaust, to the, the worst thing that you can imagine. God not just gave you the nature to be that way, and you could choose within that nature, but God chose what you will do within that nature. And uh, Chris, Chris called himself a compatibilist, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he said that right after he described free will. And, and, and that you, I would say that he takes the same position as what a James White kind of position would be with compatibilism. Um, but I would, I would say that every compatibilist, if that's what a compatibilist is, you are also a hard determinist. W- what would you say about that, Jeff? Well, I, I think it's, it, it, what it sounds is like when I, when I listen to R.C. Sproul and some of these others about, they say, yeah, we have free will, we have free will. You know, it's a, but apparently the only thing we don't have free will about is accepting God, mm-hmm. accepting the gospel. Yeah. He said, no, 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 you, you know, that's, that's got to be, that's something else. It's like, other than that renders uh, Romans 1.16 invalid. If, if the gospel itself is not powerful enough to bring about somebody's consciousness of their uh, conscious consciousness of being a sinner needing salvation then then the gospel presentation is moot yeah. but I think that's what I think that's what a lot of Calvinists think is that you got to be regenerated before you can have faith and yet the scripture is very clear about um, you have that believing comes first then you're filled with the holy spirit yeah. and uh, and so that so um the the other the other side is is that in and we i got into this one guy he says well i be, i believe uh man has free will but not autonomous free will so how would you describe uh, autonomous free will i tried to get him to define it and, and he just wouldn't and uh but i tried you know but I tried to draw some illustrations, and you know, they're talking about well, before you're saved, you know, if you're, you know, you're you're an unsaved person, you're a reprobate, you're going to do everything everything possible against God. You're a hater of God, and all that kind of stuff. And to an extreme, that may be that is that is correct. However, how many millions of people go to church every Sunday here in the United States? Many of them probably are not saved. They haven't heard the correct gospel. They believe they're Christians, but they're lost. Are they really haters of God? Some of them do the some of the best work. They, they're, they're servants. They, they do a lot of things in, in and out of the church. They make society better, things like that. Does that sound like a hater of God? No. And 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 they and you know and they they are doing what they believe. God wants them to do. They just haven't accepted Jesus Christ yet. Okay. On the other hand, you've got a saved person that has this new nature. They're a new creation. And I try to hammer this about, well, you got this new nature. Why do you still sin? Well, it's because I got the flesh and I get, you know, it's boring against the spirit. I said, that's hogwash. Yeah. You've got a new nature. You're supposed to obey that new nature. I don't forget the flesh. Yeah. And, they, and they can't, you know, it's, and so. So I, so, I, so I asked him something as simple like, okay, you got this new nature. You leave the house in the morning and go to work. How many times do you exceed the speed limit? Mm-hmm. You post, you post, you know, you, you exceed the posted speed limit or you roll through a four-way stop or do that kind of stuff. You're violating Romans 13 right there because you're not obeying the civil law. 
oh, that's that's different. Well, how is it different? You know, you're willfully you're willfully committing um, law breaking. Well, Bible says if you're a lawbreaker, you don't go to heaven. <laughs> so, but they poo-poo those kinds of things. Well, that's just traffic law. That's that didn't matter. It should matter. You know, and that and then that that's what gets into those works things, that works mentality about well, we need to do works to make sure to prove we're we're we're, we're saved. And it's like, okay, who's the judge of that? Who's the fruit inspector? You know, who who judges whether you've done enough or done the right kind of work? And and nobody those people people don't have an answer for that because there isn't an answer. Well, and I think that I, I th along those lines, not to get off too much the the fruit inspection yeah. that people are looking to do is 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 a lot of time they're looking at your works and when you right. look at the fruit that you should be inspecting it's in galatians 5 it's not the the fruit of works it's the fruit of the spirit it's it's love joy peace long-suffering patience kindness charity all of it's these things that that we should be inspecting you know not the not the things that we do you know and and i think that it get you get in a really tough spot there um, if you're mm -hmm. looking to see what somebody is producing as far as what they're building or what they're you know and that can be that can be kind of a tricky place to go but um, when 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 I hear autonomous free will um, I think what they mean is something that's independent of God's will it's just you've got your own will and it acts independently of God's will which they would say you wouldn't you you don't have autonomous free will you have automated free will if you will, they wouldn't call it automated. I would call their will automated because it's something that God has pre-programmed to do what they want, it, that what He wants them to do. But anyway, so in regard to um, free will, right along those lines, with with God determining what He wants you to do, you're in bondage to the freedom God gave you to do only what He wants you to do. So if you want to kill someone. God made you want to kill someone. And then you take it a step further that we've already talked about. Um, but in, in the debate, what I what I probably should have spent more time doing that I didn't do um, was I had spent more time talking about the early church father's beliefs to give a kind of a foundation of what, what the church has believed about this throughout history to get to the Bible. And I probably should have done that the other way around. Uh, that's one thing I would have changed. I would have spent more time on the Bible rather than um, what the early church fathers said about it. Sure. And, uh, so I would have changed that part of it. But, um, but you know, I, I think that because of that, we probably didn't get a chance to really get as far into it as, um, as we should have and could have, such as addressing what Chris is defining himself as with a compatibilist. And, and I'd like, I would have liked to take that a little bit further and see what he meant by that and see if there was any hard determinism in there because I believe if he's consistent in that thought of being a compatibilist you would have to be a hard determinist um, which makes it really difficult to take a stance for true free will and I, I just don't know how a Calvinist can say that you have free will period you know because there's so many um, there's so many aspects of it that are linked to the determination of what God has decided for you to do within that will. Mm -hmm. So, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's I, I've been in enough discussions with these guys and read enough that um, if if God has determined 
from councils of old <laughs> uh, what what's going to happen uh, then how how are we po any way possible responsible for what we choose to do if God has determined it and we obeyed it then what's the problem uh, you know and, and I one of the things that if Calvinism were true where somebody is reprobated from before the foundation of the world and then they're born and then they act in a reprobate way they of any creation are acting as they are as faithful to God in their calling than any Christian would be because they are doing exactly what God determined them to be and as a result will go to hell however when you the other side is that when you've got a Christian save man save woman and they they sin they're acting against their new nature why is that I don't know you know just um, like divorce you know there's a lot of statistics about how many Christians divorce they stand up before God says we're gonna marry each other and no man's gonna take us apart you know this is forever six years later they're getting a divorce well that's a totally against God's will but yet they're gonna and totally against their nature but yet they're still gonna do it now how can we say that God determined that that divorce you can't yeah, yeah absolutely not it's the same when it, it, it's like saying God married Israel just so that he could divorce her for that purpose because you know, we, we all know that God God gave a bill of divorcement to Israel in, um, is it Habakkuk 2, or is it, it might, it might be, where is it? It's, it might be Habakkuk 2. Let me see here. Is that or Hosea? Yeah, it's Hosea. That's it. Yeah, Hosea. So, anyways, the point was, I don't, I don't believe that that is the God of the Bible. I don't believe that's how God operates. I don't believe that um, he has any evil intentions, to, especially to create something just to destroy something, um, especially when it comes to eternal punishment. But what I'd like to do um, to build on this, Jeff, is to take a second. I know we asked Cliff. He said that he was going through the Randy White uh, Ministries Forum on Facebook today. It was okay. full of statements on free will, um, and uh, specifically those statements were from the early church fathers before Augustine. And um, I was going to take some time to do this um, after I showed some of the clips from the video, uh, but I think that it now would be as good a time as any since Cliff has already put that up there. I wanted okay. to um, put up some some actual uh, statements from the early church fathers on what they what they what they said about free will. So let me get over here to my program. I want you guys to see this as it's loading. If it's going to load at all. I don't know why. It's not letting me type my search bar in here. It might. Well, let, me, let me read something while you're doing that. I, going back to Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 30 through 32. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away 
from you all your transgressions by which ye have transgressed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. Yeah. Now, that's not free will. I don't know what is. Yeah, that's a and good some will say, And some will say that God sends people to hell for his own glory. It's like, wow, really? That's how he glories? Well, that's not according to Scripture. Yeah, I just don't know how to say how you can take it that far. Um, was that in Jeremiah? Was that in Jeremiah eighteen? Where was that at? Ezekiel. Ezekiel eighteen. 18. Um, yeah, I I think there's so many things that are wrong with with uh, with hard determinism, especially when it comes to the character of God. If you can if you can really understand who God is, um, you can understand how God operates. Uh, and you see verses like that. It's like, well, if God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, why would He create someone just to destroy someone? And, and those those kinds of things are pretty tough for me. But, anyways, I I don't know what the deal is. I this is the first time this has ever happened. Um, I use a Bible analyzer software. I've got another Mac that's sitting right next to me, so I'm gonna go ahead and um, welcome back to Bible study, Josh and, Gibbs. And pull this up. Oh, hey, it's loading. What are the odds of that right when I... <laughs> Let's see if it'll pull my search tool up, though. Okay. That's what I'm having an issue with. Oh, it might be down here. That's why. I'm sorry, guys. Bear with me for just a minute. Ah, that's all right. I'll just pull it up on my other Mac. Let me switch back so that we can get the video on here. Okay. So regarding some of the early church fathers, let, tell me what you think about this, Jeff. Okay. Um, this is from... Okay, so this is from Virgin. Virgin says, um, it's in his book, Faith's Checkbook. Um, it, he says, O oh my soul, this day lay down thy wishes at Jesus' feet. If thou hast of late been somewhat wayward and willful, eager, uh, because the internet... Oh. <laughs> that I, everything's like just blowing up right now that's weird okay it says eager to to be and to do after thine own mind now dismiss thy foolish self and place the reins in the lord's hands uh say he shall choose if others dispute the sovereignty of god and glory and the free will of man do thou answer them he shall choose for me it's my freest choice to let him choose as a free agent i elect that he should have absolute sway it, to me, that's so troubling. It's like my choice is to let God choose. You know, it, it, it essentially it's like it, it's like hearing a Calvinist today say that if you have a choice to choose God, you won't choose God. So you have to let God choose for you, but you don't know what God is going to choose. So it's like, gosh, man, it, it's it's all in the hands of an angry God. 
you know? Yeah. And and I don't believe that's how it is with God. I believe that God has a genuine desire to save every single individual, and he gives you a genuine offer, a gift, to choose by faith Jesus Christ or not. And I know that you and I would both agree on that, but I wanted to st start with Spurgeon because he's laying the groundwork here. Your free will is to let God choose for you. That's no choice at all, if you ask me. Do you have anything you wanted to say? Well, Spur Spurgeon's sermons also talk about repent, turn from your sins. Well, how can you? Yeah. If, if you don't have a choice to turn or not to turn, or to or and it's and it's God doing it for you. So if God doesn't turn you from your sins, then is there a problem? Yeah, absolutely. And Cliff even says here, ninety percent of the Bible is is God pleading with us to do the right thing. And I would agree with that, Cliff. I think that that's that's a good um, solid input there because hey, God is pleading with us. 100%. I mean, it, you've got Christ as a picture on the cross. He's, you know, you've, you've got the old preachers that are saying one hand is reaching to God, one hand is reaching to man. You just got to reach up and grab his hand. And he, you know, but, okay, so let me go to another one. Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr, um, he was an early church father, and uh, he says this about free will. This is in, let me clarify what he's talking about here. It's in chapter 7 of uh, his second apology for the Christians addressed to the Roman Senate. So he says this, he says, um, in regard to the world preserved for the sake of Christians, man's responsibility. All right, so this is what you're saying earlier, Jeff. Taking away the free will of man and theology alone, not actuality alone, is to take away the responsibility of man. It really does, it puts all of the cause, that if, if God is the cause, God is the responsible agent. Um, the only thing that God is responsible for is giving us a genuine choice in the matter, which transfers the responsibility from God to us. So I would, I would agree with you, Jeff, that, that man is responsible for his own choices when it comes to his salvation. So here's what he says. He says, uh, let's see, the Stoics, not observing this, maintained that all things take place according to the necessity of fate. But since God, in the beginning, made the race of angels and men with free will... Now, who do those Stoics sound like to you? I don't know. <laughs> those Stoics sound very familiar to me. Uh, um, but he says, they will justly suffer an eternal fire, the, uh, an eternal fire, the punishment of whatever sins they've committed. And here's the line for me. He says, and this is the nature of all that is made, to be capable of vice and virtue. For neither would any of them be praiseworthy unless they were, uh, unless they were powered to turn to both vice and virtue. So there's Justin Martyr uh, given an analogy uh, or given a dissertation basically to refute the Stoics on what they were teaching in determinism versus free will. Mm -hmm. uh, let's get Irenaeus. Irenaeus is another one. He says this. He says, um, And this they declared to be the salt and the light of the world. For the animal substance he had uh, need of training be means of the outward senses. And on this account they affirm that the world was created as well as that the Savior came to the animal substance which was possessed of free will. 
that he might secure it for salvation. Now, he's writing here um, in his book Against Heresies, he's talking about some people um, regard, it's kind of a strange thing. I don't know exactly what they were teaching back here, but it's, it's kind of a strange thing. He's saying good works were needless for these guys. They were necessary to others. Others abandoned their morals. And he's talking about these three substances, and he's talking about the material. He talks about the necessity to perish. And then he talks about some other things that I really haven't studied a whole lot um, to understand what he's talking about. But he, he is, he's absolutely without a doubt saying that, uh, in fact, he addresses down here where he even talks about a dispensation. Um, but he says there's dispensation endowed with an animal nature, yet constructed with all unspeakable skill, so he might be visible and tangible and capable of enduring suffering. Anyways, for what that's worth, um, Irenaeus gets, when he's talking about um, some of the, the heresies he's addressing, um, it gets kind of peculiar, especially when he's talking about an animal nature there. <laughs> so, anyways. Uh, here, Tatian goes on to say, he says, he says this, um, the sin of men do not to fate, but to free will. This is chapter 11, and uh, this whole chapter is based off of it, but I'm going to read the beginning, and then I'm going to read the end of this, so I'm not reading the whole thing. He says, how then shall I admit this nativity according to fate when I see such managers of fate? I don't wish to be king. I'm not anxious to be rich. I decline military command. I detest fornication. I'm not impelled by an insatiable love of gain to go to sea. I don't contend for chaplets, blah, blah, blah. He goes through all of these things, and then he, he talks about all of these people dying in each state that they're in who did desire those things. And he says here, we were not created to die, but we die by our own fault. Our free will has destroyed us. We who are free have become slaves. We who have been sold through sin. Nothing evil has been created by God. We ourselves have manifested wickedness, but we who have manifested it are able again to reject it. So there's just a few guys. We could go on and on and on and spend an entire hour going through you know, the writings of the early church fathers. But um, I wanted to, Jeff, play a few clips of the video. But before I do that, I wanted to ask you if you had anything that you wanted to add in regard to the early church fathers. No, I, and I'm sure that they probably wrestled with a lot of things, too. Um, I mean, I, obviously, they had all the different councils. I mean, they came up with, the, you know, the different creeds and things like that where they're trying to encapsulize. I mean, it, even even just the, the fact that they tried to determine what was canon and what wasn't. So there had to be a lot of called decisions made and a lot of, you know, a lot of wrestling over what was and what wasn't scripture and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we, we've heard even today that there are books left out of the Bible um, for whatever reason. You know, some have put in the Apocrypha because they feel like that was, that was um, inspired writing as well. Um, so, they're, they're, I'm sure that once the apostles were off, um, were off the scene, it was left to others to determine where do we go with this, mm -hmm. and uh, so, um, you know, I guess I'm glad I wasn't one of them, <laughs> yeah. but um, but I I could see sometimes why, 
you know, Augustine would, would go one way and Pelagius would go another way and, you know, somebody else would, 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 would have another interpretation of, of the intent of the scriptures, the intent of the gospel and things like that. Um, so obviously uh, there were a lot of free will dispensed at that point in time uh, in order to come up with some coherent uh, instructions to how to go forward with this Christian faith. And uh, so, um, you know, some some people's logic was faulty. At least some of it was uh, we agree with. And um, the, other, the other side is I think that there's been enough now history passed on that we could read the scriptures for ourselves. It's very evident that God wants us to be in a right relationship with him. There's nothing at this point in time limiting us from that right relationship with him other than our own free will. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that this is a good point that Cliff brings up because if, if we can see what the early church fathers wrote uh, and what they believed, we can see what the consistency is of the doctrines that we hold to today. Is it something mm -hmm. that you can actually trace back to the, the apostles? Is, is what we're believing and teaching today something that is historically accurate and true? And I think that when, when you're trying to identify a cult, I think that that's one of the things that um, we've, we have to point out is when did your church begin? Who started it? When, when, where did it come from? Where did these beliefs originate from? Who's the first person to teach these things? And if we're if we're gonna catch that, Cliff's I'm gonna put it up here on the screen so that he, uh, those of you um, who are watching can see it. He says, I think it's important to catch what was said prior to the August Augustine split, and Augustine is obviously a key character in um, church history. Uh, there's so many things that he adhered to that um, it, Calvinism is built off of. I think he yeah. it, it's clear to see that. Um, he, he brought in a lot of Manichian's Stoic-style, Gnostic-style teachings um, that there's no record of him ever breaking away from those. Um, and, and then they were later adopted by Calvin mm -hmm. and, and brought into this higher enlightenment style. Uh, you know, you, you come to a, um, uh, a metaphysical understanding of what life after death is and you cannot do this of your own will. It's 100% esoteric thing. Um, and that gets pretty complicated in all of that. But, you know, you could never tell a Calvinist that he's a Manichian or a Gnostic or a semi-Gnostic. Because they play those games with us. You know, you're a semi-Pelagian, you're a Pelagian, you're an Arminian. But, no, I, I don't like labels. Yeah. I, I, um, nobody can really label me. They, they try. Um, and I, I just... Um, disavow any labels on, on me because that's not who I am. I don't, I don't base my beliefs on any person's writings other than what's in scripture. Yeah. You know, in, in, in all along that point, the importance of church history and, and being able to identify yourself throughout history, what other people believe, limited, limited atonement was not taught by Calvin. Limited atonement wasn't something that was added to the acrostic tulip until the acrostic tulip was invented in the early 1900s. So it's like nobody believed in limited atonement until recently. So if you ask me, Jeff, I would say that this is probably one of the biggest battles that we've got 
in our age is, well, what is the gospel? Because to me, if you believe in limited atonement, that is absolutely 100% not the gospel of the Bible. There's no question about it in my mind. It, if you've got Christ dying for some people and not for others, that's clearly against what the gospel is because the gospel is available to everyone. And if, if, we're, if we're really going to be blunt about it, and I don't have any problem being blunt about it, it that is not if you, if you believe in that, you're preaching another gospel. If you don't believe right. in that, you can still be a Calvinist. I believe that most Calvinists were not Calvinists before they got saved. I believe the majority of Calvinists, even Calvinists today, present the true gospel, which would be a bold proclamation gospel that it's available to anyone. You can get saved. Here's how you get saved. And then once you get saved, here's the indoctrination of what Calvinism is, which leads to the second, third, fourth generation going, you know what, I'm done with this. I don't want anything to do with it. And there's no more bold proclamation going out. So if I'm looking at it, I'm going, man, if I was the devil, I'd be doing that, man. Let them get saved, but don't let them tell anybody about it because it's not available to everybody. Right, right. So. Yeah, that last uh, Easter, uh, I attended a Good Friday service here in my, in my city um, at a Baptist church. And it was, it was actually a church my wife was saved in years ago and, and her family and stuff like that. Um, uh, well, I got the postcard in the mail. I'll go, I'll go to Good Friday service. And uh, so, I, uh, so I go, sit down, sing some songs. And then the pastor gets up. And his opening question was, was the cross a specific cross or a general cross? I thought, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> And true, he was true to his Calvinist uh, uh, training because he just said, this was a cross for just believers. It's yeah. not a cross for anybody else, but just believers. And, of course, he glossed over that, that, uh, that Christ was a propitiation for all yeah. sins yeah. that took upon him, you know, the iniquity of us all and things like that. So... Um, I, I bared up through the sermon and then quickly dashed out before uh, I could uh, greet anybody. I just, I thought, oh, man. Yeah. What, what kind of hope does that give somebody who is visiting and not saved? It, there is no hope in that gospel. It, yeah. I mean, honestly, there's not. So uh, Cliff says, yeah, the tulip was from the Synod of Dort in 1619. I thought that limited atonement wasn't added until after the Synod of Dort. I could be wrong on that. So I would appreciate that if that is accurate information. I'll be willing to admit it if it is. So, yeah. all right. But I, anyways, I just, it, there is no hope in that gospel. I think that if you can, and Leighton even talked about this. Leighton Flowers talked about this on Soteriology 101 last week. He, he said, what, what kind of a, a gospel do you have a, the ability to proclaim? Is it a bold proclamation, which means... Can you go out into an audience or a crowd and say, you know what, Christ did die for you? Can you actually do that? If you cannot do that and you have to say, well, if you believe, then Christ died for you. That is not a bold proclamation of the gospel. Because the gospel is Christ died for you. And, mm -hmm. uh, and obviously that he rose again. So, Yeah, Alan, when he was on with Leighton Flowers on a podcast... 
mention that about is to a Calvinist is that is the gospel pro proclamation a bona fide offer of salvation to anyone who hears it? And to a Calvinist, it's not. It's, it's only a proclamation to those who God has chosen. And because a Calvinist doesn't know who's chosen, he has to, he has to tell everybody the gospel. Yeah. And they only do it because they're commanded to. And, and that's, that's what that gets me is, well, we're commanded to share the gospel. Yeah. Do you share it out of love? I, do you want what I, what's your motivation? <laughs> what's your hard attitude behind it? It's an, it's an attitude of obligation, not an attitude of a willingness of heart. But you know, anyway, so Spurgeon, there's a couple of quotes from Spurgeon in that regard. One, he said, well, you know, if I knew who the elect were I, and they had a stripe on their back, I'd be lifting up every shirt in town and I'd preach to them only. But he also said this, if uh, he said, if, if, uh, if, a, if a man, in regard to regeneration, he said, if a man is regenerated prior to hearing the gospel, there's, there's no need for me to be making a proclamation of the gospel because they're already saved. Which to me is saying, gosh, that's a pretty clear statement that if you are regenerated, you're already born again, which means you've heard the gospel. And I would, I think that Spurgeon would agree with that. But anyways, we are at an hour and 33 minutes. Do you want to take about five, ten minutes to go through these clips or do you want to wrap it up here? Yeah, let's go through the clips. All right. So the first clip that I've got here um, is... Uh, in regard to Noah and the Ark, we had, we were, I'll just play it and we can talk about it from there. And to destroy men for that reason. Why do you think God would build an Ark and have Noah preach righteousness to them? I'm not sure the, I'm not. So. All right, uh, Jeff. Obviously, this is a this is something that um, I think is is huge. When you're looking at the typology of it, the ark would be a, a type of Christ, and uh, Noah would be a type of the preacher, and the rest of the world is a picture of an unsaved man going down in judgment unless they get on the ark. So unless you get in Christ, you're going to die in your sins. And my point was, why would God have Noah? a preacher of righteousness preaching a message of condemnation. Because if he is a preacher of righteousness, he's not preaching condemnation. In fact, if if he is in this typology, and the ark is a type of Christ, Christ, when he came, was not preaching condemnation. He was preaching righteousness. Uh, so that's what I was trying to get home. Do you have any thoughts on Noah? Well, in, in, in the sense here that... God gave Noah 100, 120 years to build the ark and to share with the world that God's judgment, when it, start, when it starts raining, and they've never experienced rain up to that point, when it starts raining, that's it. Show's over. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, as the animals were being gathered two by two and all that kind of stuff, I think that some pretty wary people say, uh, okay, yeah, something's going on here, and uh, and so when uh, when people complain about the floods, that I can't believe this God killed all these babies and young people, and I tell them, don't blame God. Yeah, you blame the you blame the adults who failed 
in their responsibilities as parents to heed the call of Noah, and they didn't repent, and they didn't teach their kids to repent, and had probably, just like in the days of Lot in, in, in Sodom, that if even some of those people had repented, that flood may not have occurred. Yeah. And, and but, but God, you know, gave those people a hundred years to repent. Now think about how cold a heart it had to be to live a hundred years. Noah saying, "Hey, there's going to be judgment here. Let's get right with God." And you still refuse a hundred years later. You're still refusing God's call um, to righteousness. That's pretty cold hearts. Absolutely. I, and, and when you really consider it, the, um, the preservation was from the righteous, you know, and, and, but, it, but more than that, the preservation of the long-suffering of God through that hundred years was just that. It was the long-suffering of God. And, um, and, and I think that if today really is as it was in the days of, of Noah, and it was as it was in the days of Lot, and we're preaching—I mean— Seriously, are we going out preaching a message of condemnation and that's it? No, we're, we, we should be preaching a message of hope. And if it is today as it was back then, I believe that Noah was preaching a message of hope that anybody could get on that boat if they wanted to. And if anybody, chain, if anybody decided to get on that boat and the boat wasn't big enough, God would have made the boat bigger. You know, but... Or just not rain. Or just not let it rain. It preserved yeah. it. So that's a good point too. So... Uh, this this I want to give Chris uh, an opportunity to give his response here. That way, I'm not just cherry picking it, um, sure. and I'll be fair to him. So here's his. The text never 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 says if, if that's what you're you're, you're asking. Um, God, yeah, God warned them, um, and, and in God's God's decree, He sends out the word so that it would it would be a just condemnation against them, um, and so He doesn't say, you know, just in saying not murder. You know, he gives that law, and those who murder, they have a revealed law to they're they're doing wrong against. So you would say that. All right. So we got to see his response there. The next portion that I'm going to go to uh, is going to be in reference on his response. Uh-huh. Um, is he suggesting that yes, they were warned, but God did not allow them to repent? I, I think that if he's going to be consistent, I think that's where he was going with it. That, that Noah is telling them, you know what, God's sending a flood, y'all are going to die. And uh, he's not giving them a message of the hope of the ark because God chose for them to die in the flood. I think if, if you're really consistent about it, God, and you, and you compare that to the nature uh, within the realm of the free, free will of man within the nature God has given him, you're you're extremely limited in what you're capable of doing. If if God genuinely chose for these people to die in the flood, he would not preach to them the gospel because in Calvinism, the gospel is not for everyone. So if God did not die for every individual and there's a message going out to these individuals who died, it would be a message of condemnation to a Calvinist because God didn't want them to live. So there is no hope for them because God chose for them to die in that flood. And to me, it's like, gosh, this shows the drastic differences between what we believe about God, what we believe about the gospel, what we believe about the proclamation, and to whom it's available to. Mm -hmm. You know, just through that one type of Noah 
the ark and the flood. But anyways, the second one is going to be the serpent on the pole, um, another typology of Christ and what um, this Old Testament pictures. Now, let me pause there. Jeff, do you have any way of making that a little bit clearer of what I was trying to ask there? Yeah, I, I, no, I, I know you're trying, you're trying to parallel what, what Moses did with lifting up the, the serpent on the, on the pole and Christ also saying that, you know, the Son of Man will be lifted up. And um, so look and live. And uh, so go ahead now. Okay, um, I gotta get back to my other. And then I'll, I'll explain. Okay. It, it doesn't speak of a uh, man's nature, but I think you would even agree on this that men will do, men will do religious things for self-preservation. We see that a lot of times. Yeah, but that that doesn't get into man's nature. Yeah, a man will look at this, uh, you know, bronze serpent so that he'll live. But it, it, that's that's not i mean he wasn't i think you would agree men weren't saved in the old testament by looking at this they were they weren't saved salvifically they were just saved so now with that point he says men weren't saved salvifically by looking at this serpent mm -hmm. um i think the point is the point is they were going to die if they didn't look at it if they did look at that serpent they would live which shows that they had the faith to come to look at the serpent to live um, prior to looking at the serpent, but I, uh, my point, my point was to simply get across that um, that anyone could look at the serpent to live, which is obviously a type of life, everlasting life, death, everlasting death. Do you have anything that you would add to that? Yes, and when we talk, look at some of these things in the, in the Old Testament, we're talking about the physical nation of Israel. Right. So there's all, a lot of things are done in order to preserve the nation or preserve yourself. Um, you know, there's very little talked about in the Old Testament about heaven uh, and things like that. So we crush to say, well, yeah, we will we'll do whatever is necessary for self-preservation. Yeah, we will. But the gospel, in a lot of ways, is a call for self-preservation. Why would you want to die in your sins when you could do otherwise? Meaning, accept the gospel and live with Christ forever in heaven. So, so now we've got Moses with the serpent on this on the pole, and which is where we get the the medical symbol. If you if you look at that, and then you've got Christ saying, "If the Son of Man be lifted up, you know." The, the idea here, again, the Jews needed signs, right? And so Jesus talked about Moses with the, with the serpent on the pole. He talked about uh, Jonah spending three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. He talks about 
the sign of the, of the Son of Man being lifted up. So in this case, that Christ is saying, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be lifted, I'm going to be put on a cross. This is, and this is basically for Israel, this is your last chance. That if you don't trust in me then, and again, you think you know. You think about how Jesus did go about preaching his his kingdom, giving people the full opportunity. And some of them, they just wanted to be fed, and they walked away. Sometimes it was, it was, there was uh, the times were a little tough. They went away, you know. And at one point in time, it's like he asked the disciple, the twelve. He says, "You gonna leave me too?" You know. So. Um, God, God gives people these opportunities, clear opportunities, to accept them or not, and then for Jesus to come to his own people, the nation of Israel, and he said he came into his own, and his own received him not, by free will. Yeah. And But as many as did receive him of their own free will, volitionally, they became, they were granted the power to become the children of God. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot to be said in that, that there, the, the power to become the sons of God is not, um, it's not in the sense that we can, we can make ourselves the sons of God. It's that by believing in Jesus Christ, we do become the sons of God. That's why it's not of our will. Um, it's not of our will in the sense of willing to become a son of God. It's 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 our sense in, in putting our will in His will, because um, obviously Galatians talks about His will being the will that saves. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, you know, everywhere throughout the New Testament, including Romans and and what you're just putting there in John one twelve and thirteen, that that's that's what we're doing when we become a son of God is we're putting our faith in His faith, our will in His will. Uh, to become in Christ, Ephesians one, Ephesians two. Once you're in Christ, that's that's your you're predestinated from that point on. Um, to right. a glorified body, to an adopted new body, an adoption of a new body, adopted glorified body. Which at some point we would need to talk about that. I think that um, the doctrine of predestination is something that uh, has got a lot of is is a buzzword that needs to be addressed. I think that's something that we we could do in talking about Romans 8, Romans 9, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2. Those things need to be talked about. And uh, just to give a context um, and, and what the what predestination is all about, what glorification is all about, what adoption is all about. So, okay, this next clip is at the, the one hour mark. I know we've been going a long time here. I'm sorry, I know you're getting tired. So I'll try to wrap it up here. And um, we've got this one is the question that I've got is man's will limited within ability. So uh, I know that might sound confusing. Let's let the video speak for itself here. Carry it out. It, well, I'm not sure I'm following you on that. So you're saying it's just the ability to recognize something as good or good or evil, but it has you, you want to limit it to just that. So I'm saying it has actually nothing to do with how the carrying. Just to clarify, I jumped kind of right in the middle there. He he's asking me 
um, basically what is man's will able to do? Is it able to carry out an action? Is it, is it just a thought? So I'm trying to attempt to answer this, and then um, here's the answer. I, I think that's what you're saying. So the will itself isn't able to do anything. But let me illustrate it this way. I can will myself to climb Mount Everest. My will didn't climb Mount Everest. My will drove me to climb Mount Everest. My will can say, you know what, I want to choose Christ. I can choose Christ. My will cannot go, I want to get to heaven, let me get to heaven. So I would say that the will itself is limited in the ability to choose to go to heaven. God has given us the means to go to heaven through Jesus Christ, which means my conscience tells me here's right, here's wrong, here's good, here's evil. Here's your ability to choose to will to choose Christ. I can choose Christ. That's the way I would put it. So. All right. Let me get you back on the screen here. What would you say about that, Jeff? Well, I think it's right. I mean, if, you, if, if you're presented a dilemma, one where, you know, you got the fork in the road. One is salvation. One is damnation. If you're presented a, a bona fide choice between one or the other, that you get to choose. Now you are, you have to understand that in a gospel presentation and some of that, you have the working of the Holy Spirit there. But saved or lost, you can resist the working of the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore, it's possible that even no matter how hard the Holy Spirit is working on you, you can walk away from accepting Christ. Yeah. And many people do. Yeah. And uh, and so, I mean, there's, I mean, you've probably heard stories. I've heard stories of people who they just couldn't accept Jesus Christ. Just, there was just, they knew they probably should. They knew that it would lead to eternal life. But there was just something that bugged them, and they walked away. And some will say, oh, then the Holy Spirit was ineffective. No. God gives us that free will to, to choose or not to choose. And uh, I think as Leighton Flowers talks about free will being the ability to refrain or not refrain from any given moral action. And... His moral action is to accept Christ or reject Christ. That's the greatest moral action. And Calvinists will say, you don't have the ability to make that moral choice. Right. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And and one other thing that I was actually going to bring that up if you didn't, um, but you beat me to it. So he, <laughs> he also says, why, why is it that a Calvinist will read verse 13, John, John 1, 13, without reading verse 12. I mean, um, I'm sorry, read verse 12 without reading verse 11. It says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Well, who is his own? How could his own not receive him? I mean, his own is clearly Israel. Israel is his elect. His elect is not receiving him. How is that possible? And then right after he goes into that, he gives you, um, he gives you, um, the explanation for how to become a son of God. And um, obviously he's shown the, the transition away from Israel to the church, and, and which I think is extremely powerful um, in what the new birth is. It's not of 
uh, blood, so it's not physical, it's not of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And and I think one of the common misconceptions or mis, uh, misrepresentations is that, um, whoa, how did that happen? Is that when we uh, when we when we say that we can will to believe the gospel, a Calvinist will hear that and say, "You're a synergist. You're trying to earn your salvation by willing yourself to salvation," and that's it's just a mi misrepresentation of what we believe. So mm -hmm. exactly. But, and, and I'm I'm even hesitant to use John for these salvation passages only because Jesus spoke to Jews and Jews only or virtually all Jews and so Calvinists love to get into chapter 6 and chapter 10 and uh, about you know the father drawing and, and all that kind of stuff or you know this you know the my sheep know my voice and the but that's he's talking to Israel right. here and so we have to, we, we can't. But there's no use. such thing as a dispensation, and the is, Israel is the church, Jeff. <laughs> and, so, and then, you know, so then we get into the book of Acts, which is then when we start the church age, and there's disagreements as to when the church really started. That's another chapter, too. But we do see the, the transitions. We see it in Peter where he first starts to, well, repent and be baptized. Well, that's still kind of an Old Testament law thing there, and then, but then Peter is told to go to Cornelius's house, a Gentile, of all things. But and think about that with the Cornelius, he was praying, he was giving alms, he obviously knew something about the Jewish tradition, and saw that the Jews were being blessed as a result of this. He probably, well, I want some of that. And so then God sent Peter to Cornelius and opened up the door to the Gentiles. So um, Cornelius obviously was not a hater of God, right? Yeah, you're right. And neither was Lydia. She was a worshiper of God, in fact. But anyway, so, all right, I've got a couple more clips. And uh, then we'll be done. Okay. This one, this is one that I really wish that I did give more clarification on. Uh, this was... Uh, this was so at the, at the very end, and he, and, and um, Chris used this in his his closing statement, uh, kind of against me, to mm -hmm. say that if you believe that prophecy can change, then you have no eternal security. Anything could change, and I thought that he did a good, a really good job of nailing that point home, uh, because. I didn't give a complete explanation on that. I, I, we were just addressing 1 Samuel 23 and the fact that date, God gave David a warning. It was not a prophecy. It was a warning that if he stayed in the city, uh, Saul and the enemy was going to kill, get him and kill him if he stayed. So David superseded God's warning that if he should stay, he would die. So he left. And I, I went to show how that's a picture of salvation, that you've got the warning that if you stay in your sin, you're going to die. And uh, that you just need to take the escape route out, which is Jesus Christ, by uh, believing the gospel and applying it to your own heart. And uh, here's so here's where we were at. It's at one. So the question is, how can prophecy be true 
if it can change. And before before I play it, I want you guys who are listening to know this. Um, Calvinists believe that the only reason God foreknows anything is because He predestined it to be so. God does uh, not. He He determined it to be. He so. determined it. Yeah. So, so that's the way they were. He determined it to be that that way. That's why God can't predict it to be that way. Um, it cannot change all of these things, but. The, the point is, anytime you find a prophecy in the Bible that is a, a prophecy from God, it always comes to pass, not because God determined it to come to pass, but because God is outside of time, and he's already seen it happen. He's seen all the options available. He's seen all the choices available. He's seen it, and he knows it, and so he writes it down. Anyways, all right, here we go. 107... That's close enough. What's going to happen? Great point. So, with with your with that being said, can, how can prophecy be true if it actually can change? Because you just stated that God knowing all things doesn't mean it can't change. So could yeah. So, so could Jesus have not died on the cross? Absolutely, Jesus could have not died on the cross. I would say that so, Jesus had a will that was able to choose. Let me stop it there. So I'm, I'm sure that when any of you who are watching would have heard that for the first time, you're going, what? Wait a second. Jesus could have not died on the cross? What I'm saying is, see, he, he's trying to get, to get the point across that if Christ could have not died on the cross, that it, that it would make God a false prophet in the sense that if it didn't happen, then God's a liar, and therefore I'm saying that God's a liar. Um, if it if it could have not happened, and the the point is, yes, God, through Jesus Christ, as God manifest in the flesh, Jesus had the option to go to the cross or not. He had a genuine battle against Satan, against the rulers of um, wickedness, against the principalities of power. He had a genuine battle against sin and bearing that sin on the cross. He had a genuine battle in the garden. All of these things were very genuine that if he did not go through with them, he could have lost. But he could not have lost because he chose to go through them. And he is God. He will always be victorious. That's the point I'm trying to make. Not in the sense of you don't have any hope in your salvation. You can't have any trust in it because it can change. That is not the point that I was making. The point that I'm making is just as sure as it was written that he would do it, he had almost as already, could have already have done it as far as God sees it. God's outside of time. He knows what happened. And when it comes to your salvation, it's just as sure as all of the prophecies leading up to Christ and all those prophecies being fulfilled in Christ that no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Not, it'll never happen. You cannot lose your salvation and it's not based off of the perseverance of the saints. It's based off the finished work of Christ. That's it, period. So in that sense, I did not do a good job explaining that. Uh, but, you know, this is my redemption for it. Anyway. Yeah, in, in a debate that was point scored, you would have lost big time on that one. But the idea is, though, that like when Peter, did, when Peter denied Jesus the three times, now, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times, okay, and they go off. 
Now, did, did Jesus determine Peter to do that? No. Could, could, right. Peter have, could Peter have refrained from that? Yeah, he could have. Yeah. Jesus just knew what would happen, yeah. and it happened. And then Peter realized, uh-oh, and he went out and wept bitterly. Yeah. Okay? Uh, so, and I think that was that, that was another phrase that you guys were talking about, the foreknowledge of God. Yeah. And, and, you know, there can't be any free will because the foreknowledge of God, everything is determined, in the future is determined, so therefore you really don't have free will. Right. Okay. It's not that, it, God has foreknowledge, but it still doesn't mean he determined everything. He just knows what will happen. It's kind of like the old thing about, you know, as kids, you you play this game about, you know, I'm gonna, you know, like when you're on the on the sidewalk and and you're not you don't want to walk on the crack, right? And you yep. you you order your steps to not walk on the crack. But then you said, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna walk on the crack this time. Do you think you know to fool God? You know, so like, and he's like, you realize you never fool God that whatever you ended up doing of your own free will. He knew you were going to do it, yeah. And, and so, yeah. So, but you you look in the Old Testament, how many Isaiah and Jeremiah and something, and they're saying, God's going to do this. In, in fact, he says, "Here's what God says: I'm going to take you. I'm going to have you, you know, leave this land. You're everything's going to be barren. You're going to be captured. You're going to be killed. All kind of stuff." God was God was saying already what was going to happen. Did Israel have a choice to repent? Yes, they did. Yeah. Just God knew they weren't going to. Yeah. And, and so with that, so you think about how many times they were led into captivity, but then how many times they repented and got right with God and God brought them back into the land. And so, you know, AD 70, everything was destroyed. Israel was dispersed. And... But now they're they're they have their own land at this point in time. The land mass is a lot smaller than God promised, and, <laughs> and we know it's going to get bigger um, when He comes back. But uh, at this point in time, as saved people, our job is to proclaim the gospel, not just to those who are going to believe, but our job is to proclaim the gospel to every creature meaning every human being, and um, in hopes that they will all accept the gospel. And uh, so that's that's where we're at, and that's that's the church age. Until the church age is done, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yep. Well, I agree with you, Jeff. I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap up. We are at two hours, so I it goes by. Can you? Yeah. It goes by pretty quick, but um, I appreciate you again. Maybe uh, sure. hopefully this is something we can uh, keep doing in the future. I think it's it's sure. good. Um, next week we are going to have Robert Furland on, and we are going to talk dispensationalism. Hey, hey, that sounds good. I think it'll be fun. So yeah, um, I've been going through some of the early church fathers and seeing what they have to say about it because you hear so often, well dispensationalism did not come about until John Darby. 
Beyond our beyond. Yeah. In fact, um, Randy White has a book at Disp Dispensational Publishing House called Dispensationalism Before Darby. Okay. So dispensationalism has existed long before John Darby came on the scene. So for those of you who um, don't know much about dispensationalism or you would like to find a place to start, next week may be something that you'd be interested in. Uh, it'll be me, Jeff, and Robert, I think. Um, from what I understand, just the, the little bit of conversation I've had with Robert, he's either on the fence or is not telling me what his position is on it, that he, he hasn't got his mind made up. Maybe he does. I don't know. Um, but I, I guess we'll see next week. Yeah, it'll be a good discussion. He's a good guy. Good. Yeah, I've had a little bit of interaction with him online, so I think it'll be fun. But right. anyways, Jeff, you have a good night, man. We'll you catch you bless. later. You too. God bless. Have a good night. Bye. All right, let's go here. Okay. Well, for those of you who are still on, thank you for uh, watching. And stick with us for next week, dispensationalism. Uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna do that next Friday, and uh, that'll be good. So we'll catch up with you. Have a good night. Be sure to like and share our videos, um, and um, put it out there if you think it's something that would interest other people. All right. God bless y'all. Have a good night.